pray for us before we dive in this morning. So, uh, Father, um, thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. And, uh, God, I know that when we gather together as the body of Christ, that Father Jesus, as the head of his body, is uniquely and powerfully present with us. Spirit, we welcome you this morning. We desire that you would speak to us. That's why we're here. And Father God, you are worthy of our worship. Thank you for allowing us to open a window into heaven. Every Sunday when we gather together to join with the throngs that are currently and eternally praising you. Take your word this morning, Spirit, and, and move through our hearts and our minds, not just that we would think different, but that we would be different. For your glory. Amen. Uh, so, I want to start off with a couple of would you rathers, my friends. Remember these? So here it is. Would you rather be without elbows or without knees? Talk to your neighbor, tell them. Elbows or knees, which one? Would we, I mean, you got to think about this now. You got no knees, you got to kind of, I don't know, do this maybe. No elbows though, you can't even feed yourself. Okay? All right, all right. The second one, would you rather never be able to speak again or always have to say everything that is on your mind? Which one? <laughs> this one, this one's an easy one for me. Uh, definitely never be able to speak again because if I said everything that was on my mind, uh, I wouldn't have any friends probably. So that's the last one. Would you rather have legs as long as your fingers or fingers as long as your legs? <laughs> This is definitely the creepiest one of all to have to think about. Which is it? You want little legs? Or would you want to greet people with like fingers like way out here? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> uh, so the year is 1999. And Sean Litton has a real-life would-you-rather that he has to answer. Uh, Sean actually grew up here in West Michigan, not just in West Michigan, uh, actually in Grand Rapids, not just in Grand Rapids, actually right here in Cascade. Uh, in fact, uh, he graduated from Forest Hills Public Schools. I think he graduated from Central High School just around the corner. Uh, when he was growing up, his parents weren't, they had, were kind of connected to a church, but his dad never really went. Uh, mom kind of went when they were young. And uh, then when he was in middle school, he had some friends that kind of told him he should uh, come hang at the youth group. And so his mom would drive him to church and drop him off. He had a middle school youth pastor, though, that loved Jesus and invested in Sean's life. And when Sean was in middle school, he gave his heart to Christ. Uh, he was really uh, 
not, I would say, not really following Jesus, though, come high school. Um, didn't really have a whole lot of those models and examples uh, in his life, and church kind of became a thing uh, that he didn't really engage with anymore. Went off to college, and while he was in college, that's when, that's when Jesus really captured his heart, and Sean gave like his full self to following Christ. Uh, Sean graduated from high school, went on to college, uh, excuse me, graduated college and went on to law school, got accepted into a pretty prestigious law school. Uh, when he graduated from law school, uh, one of the top in his class, he was uh, given a job at one of the most elite law firms in the country. Uh, it's a law firm in D.C., been around for over 100 years. They employ over 1,500 lawyers. And uh, Sean was a rising star. He was killing it. Uh, the problem was is that they were also killing him. Uh, he was putting in crazy hours. He'd said it was averaging about 70 plus hours a week that he was putting in. He'd been there for about six years. Uh, he actually was given the lead uh, on a case that they were working on. Uh, he actually was trying that case for a year. At the end of that year, around year seven, uh, they won the case. Uh, but Sean said that the stress, the hours, uh, the intensity, the expectations had taken a toll. He's normally like uh, a very engaged person, full of life, full of emotion. He said he didn't stop going to church while he was working uh, but quite honestly, his relationship with God had really seemed to dull, and he said he felt dead inside, like he was a spiritual zombie. He said, I would go to church, and he said, there had been, months had gone by where I just hadn't even sung during the worship time. He just said, I was just dead. I was emotionally numb to the world. He says, uh, I'm sitting in church one Sunday, and, and this guy who is uh, the head of this tiny little Christian human rights organization comes to speak at the church. And he starts to uh, share a story about this little girl that they had met and interacted with um, who had been uh, trafficked into slavery and uh, was um, being abused by men uh, every single day. And uh, the guy's name that was sharing this story about this girl that he had met was Gary Haugen. And, and Gary was saying that um, the country that this girl lives in has laws against it. Uh, but there's nobody that's stepping up to fight for her. She, she's invisible in many ways. And, and Sean said he's sitting there in the service. And all of a sudden something inside of his soul began to break open again. He said he started to cry. He couldn't even, like, help himself. He wasn't, like, you know, crazy sniffles crying, but, like, he couldn't stop the tears from flowing. He said it was the first time that I had felt anything in months. He didn't like who he was, but he thought to himself, I've put in the work, and now I can basically punch my ticket to do whatever I want to do. He wasn't planning on staying with that law firm, but he put in the work. He was a rising star the accolades that he had received, uh, the connections that he had made. Uh, his plan was to parlay all of that into a sweet, cush job for a 
medium-sized law firm where he could probably make partner fairly quickly. Uh, he actually hoped he would come back to Grand Rapids. Thought he would probably get in with one of the top two law firms here and be able to make partner. Uh, he was making really good money already, but knew that like the sky was the limit for him because of what he had done. And he's sitting here in this church service, and as Gary shares, his heart just starts to break. And, and he said, instantly, I knew in my head, okay, uh, I had this vision of a scale. He said, on the one side of the scale was, uh, was this stupid little Christian human rights organization that nobody knew about, that had no clout, that had no funding, and all the work that I had put in, all of my future opportunities that were coming as a result, all of the things that I might have to give up, and on the other side was this little girl. If you have your Bibles, I'd love you to open up to Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, as you know, we've been in a, a series that we've entitled The Pattern. We're walking through the book of, or excuse me, I should say the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians. If you need a Bible, you can just raise your hand. Uh, we've got folks coming down. You can just grab a Bible and open it up there and follow along with us. If you're not real sure where Philippians is, it's about this far back. Uh, you can uh, just look in the table of contents and find the, find the page and flip there. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, and he loves them. Do you remember this? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Like, he just, like, the Philippians are his jam. Like, they are, like, his people. Like, this is one of the churches, uh, the first church, actually, that we know of in modern-day Europe, where the gospel goes to. And these folks, like, they don't have an easy life, being Christians, following Jesus in, in that city. And yet, they're doing it, like, superbly. They're generous, they're kind, the way that they're interacting with each other, the way that they're interacting with Paul and other believers, and, and Paul's just like loves them. So he's super excited. Paul's writing this letter while he's in jail in Rome because they've sent him a really big gift to take care of his needs. And Paul just wants them to know how thankful he is for them and uh, how much he loves them. And uh, usually when Paul's writing a letter, he's got like a, a specific theological reason that he wants to write the letter. And so it's pretty logical. Like he'll kind of start and work his way down through an argument to help the folks at that church understand. In this particular letter, though, Paul's not doing that. Paul's just like gushing about a whole bunch of different things. And this entire letter is kind of held together by what we're about to read right now. It's this beautiful poem that Paul writes about Jesus. And that's kind of where everything kind of branches off this. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. says, therefore, Paul says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. He's like, look, if you've experienced any benefit from being in the family of God, from having a relationship with Jesus. If you've experienced anything that's enhanced your life, your walk, your relationships, he's like, look, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. He's talking about unity here. He says, having the same love, 
being one in spirit and of one mind. And then he goes on to give them some exhortations. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, whatever God's given you, okay, whatever benefit you've experienced from following Jesus, don't just use it for your own advantage. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And this is where it's about to get really, really good. That's really good stuff right there. And I'm not even barely going to touch on that. So what you just got from me on that section, that's what you get today. But we're going we're gonna to jump into this and, and really dive in. In verse 5, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who... Being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <clears throat> that's good stuff right there, people. I'm just telling you that's good stuff. Now, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to go back and really deal with one particular issue. Okay? One particular issue in Philippians chapter 2. There's all kinds of things that this is dealing with, all right? You've got uh, themes of unity here. You've got themes of humility here. Paul drops the hypostatic union of Christ on us in this passage. That's pretty impressive, right? You, hypostatic union of Christ. That just basically means that Jesus was fully God, completely God, and also fully, completely human. All right, Paul's dropping all kinds of things, right? How we're supposed to treat one another within the body of Christ, right? Which is actually to treat them with the same pattern that Jesus treated us. See where we got the title for the series? The pattern. Paul's like, look, these are all stuff that's in here. But there is a particular piece here that I want us to focus on. And this piece has two sides, all right? Side one really comes in verses 6 through 8. Side two comes in 9 through 11. And it hinges basically on verse 5. And that's what I'd like for us to focus on this morning. Going back to verse 5, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Now, a lot of times when we hear the word mindset, we kind of think that it's a way to think about things, right? It's like a way to think. Well, when Jesus is talking, or excuse me, when Paul is talking about having the same mindset as Christ, he's not talking about simply the way we think. He is talking about that, but it's more than that. It's not just how we think, it's also what we believe, how we talk, how we act, how we treat others. Like, it's the whole thing. Like, it's all of it. He's like, look, you need to have the same mindset as Christ. You need to be like Jesus. Do what Jesus did. Think like Jesus thought. Act like Jesus acted. Like, that's what it means to have the same mindset as Christ. And then he goes on to explain what that mindset was. Who being in very nature God... Uh, maybe your Bible says, or having the form of, or being the same as. However your Bible translates it, what Paul is saying here is that Jesus is God. Okay? Like, make no mistake, this is what he's saying. 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He's like, look, Jesus is God. All right? Same essence. He's totally God. But instead of using his godness for his own advantage, which he totally deserves to do. Like if anybody has a right to say like, yo, I'm God, like uh, all my strength I'm going to spend on myself because I deserve it. It's my, like God can do that. But Jesus doesn't do that. And instead he does something very different, which quite honestly is shocking. There weren't other religions at the time in, in ancient Rome where the gods were about serving and helping the humans. It was always the other way around. Uh, This is a shocking revelation in many ways. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, we got uh, my son Kai in ant farm. Have you ever seen uh, these newfangled ant farms that they have now? <laughs> Check this thing out. I'm not like, <laughs> thank you for that, Tom. <laughs> newfangled. You like that word. Thanks, Tom. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're made of this uh, substance that I think is, is called agave, uh, which is like, it's like gel that's made from seaweed. Okay? And it's clear. So you put the ants in there. They literally ship you ants in a container. They tell you to put the ants in the fridge. Uh, so that they like chill out and then you can drop them inside your your ant farm and then the ants will make all of these like you can see them making all the tunnels okay and and, uh, I think ants are kind of cool I remember when I was a little kid I used to make my own little ant farms Uh, I had an aquarium that sometimes housed frogs and sometimes housed turtles and one time housed a bird that didn't make it but I I was trying okay and an and, and ant farm, like I thought it was awesome. You could see them make the tunnels, and, and uh, I, I like ants. Ants are pretty cool. Let me tell you some, some cool facts about ants. You ready? Some ants actually live to be 30 years old. Some ants are older than most of you in here. <laughs> the truth right there. Uh, if you combined all the weights, all the weight of the ants in the world, they would actually weigh more than all the weight of the humans in the world. Truth, truth. Uh, They're one of the strongest creatures on the planet and one of the fastest creatures on the planet if you connect their strength and their speed to their size. So if ants were your size, I forget how fast they could go, but it's like 40 miles an hour or something like that, 40, 50 miles an hour, and they can lift like four or five, like 10 times their body weight. Uh, This was also pretty interesting. Uh, Most ants can live up to 24 hours underwater. Uh, some species of ants actually use other insects as livestock. Uh, that, like, that's some high little, I'm not even kidding, look it up. They actually use other insects, and they kind of take care of them. The insects do stuff that they need them to do. Crazy, I'm telling you, ants are pretty amazing, right? They're, they're cool, I think they're kind of fun to watch. I used to try to feed my ant colonies, like I'd drop a centipede in there and watch them all come out and take, like... Here's the deal, though. Uh, I've read this passage in Philippians 2 a number of times. I've heard it preached on by others. I've taught on it before. But I'll admit, I I don't know that I 
still fully grasp it. Uh, you see, I think ants are cool, but not cool enough that I would take my son Kingston and I would make him into an ant to tell ants about me. I wouldn't do that. I just don't love ants that much. Like, I think they're kind of cool and all, but I'm not going to take my son and turn him into an ant just so that they can learn more about me. But God did that very thing. Jesus humbled himself. And here, here's the crazy thing, too. Uh, it's not like Jesus said, I'll take on human flesh for a little while, and then, like, I'll take it off and let it go. Jesus is eternally connected to you and I in our humanity. He did that for us. And, and it's crazy because he's God. Like, there's nothing that he needs. He has everything. And Jesus gives up everything, all of his strength, to come down to earth, to take on human flesh. He never gives up his godness, but he takes on humanness so that he can relate to us, so that he can live the perfect life and do what we can't do for ourselves, so he can tell us what the Father is like, so he can show us how we're supposed to live. And then not only that, he also is willing to not just become a human, but actually to die for us. And not just any death, but the most shameful, painful death that a person could possibly endure during the Roman Empire to die on a cross. Jesus does all of that. He takes his strength, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and he spends it on you. He spends it on you and me and all of us. And it's insane and crazy. And what does Jesus do? He then calls us to act like he does. So uh, Sean knew this. Sean knew that he's supposed to have the same mindset as Christ. And he's sitting there in the church and he says, I had this image of a scale and I started thinking about all the things that I was going to have to do if I was going to do anything about this little girl. And so he started putting those things on the scale. Uh, all this work that I have been doing, killing myself for the last seven years so that I could parlay it into a great career. He said, I knew that if I went overseas and worked for some little Christian organization that nobody had ever heard of, I was going to give up all that clout that I had built up. I was going to lose some of those connections. The job that I wanted to have, I knew was going to be gone. He says, not only that, but he says, I'm a white dude that doesn't speak the language. He's like, I, I, I knew I probably, even if I decided to do something about it, was probably going to fail. And he said, other people affirmed that what I was thinking was true. They're like, yeah, you're not going to be able to really do anything about it. Like, that stuff's been around for generations. And who are you to go over there? You didn't even speak the language, man. How are you going to do anything about this? What good is your law degree going to do over there? Are they even going to accept it? Are they even going to allow you to practice over there? You see, but when Gary said, we need people to go overseas and fight for that little girl, he said, I knew I was a good investigator, and I knew that I was a good lawyer, and I knew that I was supposed to have the same mindset as Christ. He says, so I started putting all these things on this scale, right? He says, and then I put that little girl on the other side, and he said, instantly, the scale just dropped. 
Uh, and this is what he said, though. He said uh, the difficulty was not going to be in going over there. He said the difficulty was going to be coming home. Uh, this is a quote. I actually um, got to interact with Sean uh, for my research when I was working on one of my degrees. And uh, he told me this story. And then he also told me that it was in a book. So I went and found the book. And I read it, and, and, and I found this quote, and it's amazing. Listen to what he says. Uh, he says, I was not so afraid of going as I was of coming back. I was at the top of my profession. I could do anything I wanted. If I went overseas for three or four years to work for some little Christian group, I was sure I would come back to a crappy job, work with crappy people, live in a crappy house, and wear crappy slacks as I drink my crappy coffee while driving my crappy car. <laughs> he said that was the biggest thing on his scale. He's like, I knew that was going to happen. He's like, I was going to come back to West Michigan, and I'd probably be like a lawyer for some school board, and I'd wear crappy slacks and drive a crappy car, drinking my crappy coffee. But there was this girl. Uh, In the book, Sean mentions that there's four things that he was going to have to give up if he was actually going to have the same mindset as Christ. He said the first thing was comfort. The state of contented well-being, right? And we all know what this is about. It's the nice pillow, the nice house, the nice couch, air conditioning, a vanilla latte. He said the second thing was security, freedom from danger. I see a lot of times we think like, hey, God's supposed to protect me. God doesn't promise that. God just promises that following him is always better. Sean had to give up his security. The other thing he says that he had to give up, and this might be one of the hardest, is control. Having the power over circumstances and events to achieve a desired outcome. And the last thing that he knew he would have to give up is success. The appearance of wealth and the high regard of your peers. Sean said, if I was going to do this, those are the things that were sitting on my scale. They showed up in different ways, right? And they show up in different ways for every single one of us. But those four things are real, real for every single one of us. They are for me. Verses 9 through 11. Jesus does all this. He spends his strength on us, even willing to die an awful, humiliating death. Verse 9, though, this is the other side, okay? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, that is going to happen. That is going to happen. Jesus has been lifted high. And when we follow having the same mindset as Jesus... In other words, doing what Jesus does, taking whatever things we have, our gifts, our strength, our time, our finances, our resources, our power, and we spend it on others in need, especially within the body of Christ, because that's actually the context that he's talking about here, but I don't think Paul intends to limit it only to the body of Christ, but it ought to at least start there, then we experience what Jesus experienced. That's how it's intended to be. You see, Sean says, I gave up comfort, I gave up security, I gave up control, I gave up success, and in return, God gave me adventure, 
God gave me a deeper faith. I got to see miracles. He said I got a deep knowledge of Jesus unlike I had ever had before. He says he received rewards in this life and in the next. And friends, that's a real thing, okay? We're not a health and wealth church where I'm going to tell you, you give God $100, God's going to give you $1,000. I don't believe that that's what Scripture teaches. But I also cannot read the Old Testament and the New Testament and not recognize that God says when we give ourselves to Jesus, all of ourselves to Jesus, that he does things for us in this life and the next. There are rewards. They're not always going to be monetary. They're not always going to be physical rewards. But there will be rewards, I promise you. I promise you. It's the greatest retirement package you could ever find. Uh, Sean also got to see the arrest in prosecution of 50 suspected traffickers and rapists. He was also there when 200 women and girls were freed as a result of his work. Uh, Sean gave up about a quarter of a million dollar annual salary, and, and, and he said, and that was just the beginning. Uh, I think his first offer from this little Christian human rights organization was uh, $30,000. <laughs> he accepted the position before he asked them what they were going to pay him. <laughs> uh, I know Sean doesn't make what he could have made, but Sean's now, about 20 years later, he's actually the president of International Justice Mission. Um, God meets us, but the reward is not that he gets to be president. The reward is that he has seen countless slaves freed. He's seen people find Jesus. He's seen a relationship with God that is true and real. Sean spent his strength on those in need, just like Christ did. And God made it count, just like God did for his son Jesus. Uh, Mark 8.35 says, lose your life and you'll find it. Matthew 18, 4 says, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are like weak, vulnerable children. Matthew 23, 12 says, those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke 18, 29 says, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You cannot outgive God. I'm just telling you, you cannot outgive God. It's impossible. I've tried. Not very often, <laughs> if I'm being real. But I've tried. God has never, ever failed me. Uh, do you want to know what was on my scale about four years ago when God told me to plant a church? I told God, I'm like, yo, uh, I'm 40. Church plant, like church plant, that's a young, that's a young woman's game. That's a young man's game. Like, that's not for 40-year-olds. Like, we're supposed to know better, okay? Uh, I had always worked at large churches. I don't know why I didn't grow up in a large church. God just gave me those positions. Uh, but you know what comes with positions at a large church? Accolades, connections, salaries. And if I came and planted a church, like, I didn't know how it was going to go. I didn't know if this was going to succeed or grow. I had no control over that. You know what else was on my scale? My house. 
we had bought a house in Hamilton, 10 acres, huge house. It's a house that I could share with others, a house that I could uh, have people over. My wife loves to be hospitable. We had a sweet in-ground pool, a place that the kids could ride snowmobiles in the winter, go tubing in the winter. In the summertime, they'd catch snakes and frogs and 3,000 square foot pole barn. Heated. <laughs> In-floor boiler heat with a bathroom. I didn't have to throw anything away. <laughs> and I loved that house. God had given it to us. We knew that. We knew it wasn't ours, per se, but we certainly enjoyed living there. And uh, I love the fact that my kids get to grow up there. Kind of an idyllic childhood in many ways. And, and I knew that if I was going to plant a church, that meant that I wasn't going to be living there. I was going to have to sell it, go someplace else. Uh, you know what else was on my scale? Uh, my kids. It was safe in Hamilton. Now, I didn't know where God was calling us. We didn't even know where God was going to ask us to plant a church. Uh, we loved their school system. Hamilton Schools was basically like getting a Christian education in a public school. Most of their teachers prayed for them regularly. They knew I was a pastor. We could talk about that stuff. Administration was like that. Our kids had great friends. Our kids loved being there. And all that stuff sat on this side of the scale. And a call to plant a church. And you know what was really in that call? Because my heart was hoping God would allow us, call us to Grand Rapids. Was actually some of you that are sitting in here. Because uh, some of you were my former student when I was a youth pastor in Grand Rapids. And I knew that some of my former students had gone off to college and kind of wondered if the Christian faith was real and something that they wanted to continue to engage in. And I said, I want to come back to GR and I want to plant a church that's going to love on those folks. And now, I get to do this. <laughs> it's stupid. I mean, on it, like, I, I have the best job in the world. I love my job. And you know what? God gave us a great place to raise our kids. And he's taking care of us. And God's doing what he wants to do. And I've seen more life transformation happen in this place, not because of me, but because of what the Spirit of God is doing than I've seen in a lot of other larger churches that I was a part of. And I couldn't tell you how unbelievably blessed I am to be here. But my question for you today is, what's on your scale? What's on your scale? When you think about when you think about what it would mean to actually go where God calls you, do what God asks you to do, what is it that sits on your scale? Uh, Gary Haugen, in that same book where he quotes Sean, says this. He says, are we raising our children to be safe or to be brave? Are we raising our children to be smart or to be loving? Are we raising them to be successful or significant? If you've ever been to a child dedication here at TLC you will know that that sounds very familiar because that's what we use to dedicate our kids. Look, we all have a choice to make. Following Jesus, having the same mindset as Christ, 
I promise you it's not going to be easy. In fact, I, I can actually promise you uh, that it's going to come with some suffering. But I can also promise you that it's better than anything you can ever create for yourself. Try your entire life long, and you will never be able to do for yourself what following Jesus will do for you. It's not even close second. Isaiah 58, 10 and 11 says, If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Friends, you are not created for safety. You were created for bravery. You were saved by Jesus that you might spend your strength on others. That's what our church has to be about. Now, I was praying today that God might be speaking to some of you. That God might be like, this, this thing's been happening, but you haven't been listening to me because you've been having some sort of a wrestling match with God because he's been talking to you about something specific. And maybe God's calling you to do something big. Maybe God's calling you to do something small. The question is, will we have the same mindset as Christ? And so what I want to do as we close right now is simply ask you to bow your heads. And we're just going to sit with God for about the next minute, minute and a half. And I just want you to say, God, if there's something you need to say to me, I'm here to listen. And just sit there and see if God's spirit doesn't want to talk to you, want to say something to you. Father, speak to us. We're willing to listen and obey. Jesus, thank you. You left it all behind because of your love for us. You became an ant so that we could know you and know your Father. Father God, you lifted Jesus to the highest place because of his obedience to you willingness to die in our place on the cross and you raised him back to life just as he promised father son and spirit we praise you today you are at work you are at work and you are here and we wish to have the same mindset as you jesus in how we treat one another in our body right here but god also how we spend our strength on those in need. God, let that be a hallmark of our church. Let it not just be words that I say from the stage. Let it be true of our lives. Let it be true of my life, Jesus. We want to have the same mindset. And we want you, Father, to be glorified for your sake until the day that you send Christ to return to this earth to make all things new. Let us live our lives the same way Jesus did. For your glory, we pray these things. Amen.